So before the service, did you get a chance to check out the slideshow at all? Hopefully some of you did. Yeah, so that's a fun abiding shepherd tradition. Holly puts together this slideshow of various things that happen throughout the year that we can give thanks to the Lord for. And in those worshiping online, I know Dave had the camera on there. Hopefully you could see it some. There was a picture missing, though, from the, the slideshow. And uh, it was missing because it hasn't been taken yet. We're going to do it right now, okay? All right, let's see here. I've got to get my, my, my full-on group mode. So, you know, there's, there's selfie. And then there's, if there's two of you, it's ussy. And then if there's a group, it's a groupie. I asked someone to take an ussy with me lately. She was really weirded out, I think. Um, I don't think she'd heard that term before. All right, so that's why I'm explaining it. i got to do my best angle here. Let's see. All right. Let's see, maybe I'm going to go make sure I got everybody over here too. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So got those pictures there because, I mean, a slideshow with all these different things that we are thankful for before, throughout the year would not be complete without a picture of all of you because I am thankful for you. Just want to make sure that, that, that you hear that tonight when he talk about giving thanks to God for various things. I am thankful for all of you. And I, I just, I want to say that, one, because I am. Two, because I don't know about you, but like I, one of the most encouraging things someone can say to me is just they can look me in the eyes and say, I am thankful for you. It just, for, for whatever reason, I don't know, for me it's very encouraging. Maybe because, you know, Nobody has more dirt on me than me, and sometimes I don't feel that thankful for me, and sometimes I'm, I struggle and I feel weak and whatnot. And so when someone says, I am thankful for you, I don't know, I just, it's encouraging. So I, I want you all to hear that tonight. I am thankful for you. And biblically, I have very good reason to be thankful for you. Tonight, the lesson we're going to get into will show us those reasons. There are many other reasons. I mean, I could say like, you know, Dwayne, I'm thankful for the time you called me out for misspeaking at the end of church during question and answer time. I could say that, and I could say, you know, Joel, I'm thankful for you playing piano. And <laughs> Do you remember doing that? No, it was, yeah. <laughs> I tell that story sometimes. I better, better explain quick. One time at the end of service, you looked, you said, did you say that the body and blood are only represented in the bread and wine and the Lord's Supper? No, no, Dwayne, I did not. But thank you for checking. <laughs> And I do appreciate that because you were keeping me accountable, making sure I was saying the right stuff. I appreciate that. I appreciate you playing piano, appreciate people playing, doing, cutting pies and Dave in the booth, all these different things. But on top of all those things, there's an even deeper, more beautiful reason that I can say that I'm thankful for you. And as we think about that reason and we get into this lesson today, it will give us all the more reason this Thanksgiving to say to God, thank you. The lesson we have is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Now, our lesson tonight actually comes from the same letter that our lesson was from this past Sunday. So it's the first letter that we have that was written to uh, the Christians in the city of Corinth. So it's a letter written by Paul to the Christians in the city of Corinth. And Paul had spent a great deal of time with the church there in Corinth, 
But then he heard this concerning news that there were a lot of problems. And so he writes this letter to help them address those problems. He identifies the problems, but then he encourages them to look at all of these problems through the gospel. And he really encourages them to look at every aspect of life through the good news, through the gospel of Jesus. In our lesson today is part of really the introduction. So the first three verses of, Paul, of Paul's letter to the Corinthians say, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, which I know, by the way, that's backwards the way we typically write letters. We usually say, dear so-and-so, and then in the end we put, like, sincerely in our name. Or I guess, who even writes a letter anymore? Like, when you write an email, you know, like, maybe you put your name on the end or it's just your automatic signature or whatever. But usually we address them and then part our name on the end. In the letters of the Bible, it's backwards. So Paul starts by saying who it's from. Paul called to be an apostle, Christ Jesus, by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's very much an introduction part of this letter when we then get into our lesson. Because the next thing he says is, I always thank God for you. Always is a big word, isn't it? You know, like, just be like, sometimes I thank God for you. No. Always. At all times, Paul says, I thank God for you. It's a big statement. And how could, I, mean, I don't know, sometimes it maybe even seems too big. Like, really? You're always thank God for them? Well, Maybe part of what's going on here can actually come to the surface more when we break down the word thank. The word thank in the original language in the New Testament, in, uh, in the Greek, it's uh, actually, it's a word they still, it's the word they still use for thank you in Greece. They pronounce it efkaristo, or efkaristo. Um, it's actually, it looks like Eucharist. It's, the word Eucharist is thank you. Um, so if you heard that in the Roman Catholic Church, they'll refer to the Lord's Supper as the Eucharist fairly often. But what's interesting about this word, eucharisto or efkaristo, is it's a compound word, and it means, it's a compound. One word in there is good, and the other word that is in there is grace. The word grace is in the word thank you. And actually, the word grace appears a few times in our lesson today. And if you look at the verses of our lesson today, fundamental to what Paul is saying is the concept of grace. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to watch the Bible Project's video where they really explore the word grace or gracious in God's word. If you, if you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at the second key word in this statement, gracious. The Hebrew word is chanun, which is related to the Hebrew noun chen. This word chen is often translated as grace or favor, and if you study how this word is used throughout the Bible, you find a fascinating story. One meaning of chen is delightful or favorable. In the Psalms, a skilled poet is said to have lips of chen, that is, he can craft beautiful words that bring delight. Or a dazzling piece of jewelry is an ornament of chen. It attracts attention and favor. 
This is why chen is often the word used to describe a gift given with delight or favor. In these cases, chen could be translated as grace. Like in the story of Esther, who approaches the king of Persia to ask that she and her people be spared from death. She calls this a request for chen. And because the king delights in Esther, he favors her and grants her wish. So, giving a gift of favor is chen because it's motivated by delight. And the most extreme kind of chen is showing favor to someone who should get what they deserve, not a generous gift. Like Jacob, who cheated his brother Esau, ran away, and then after 20 years wants to come back and make things right. So he comes to Esau asking, may I find chen in your eyes? Jacob isn't asking for what is fair, but for favor. And surprisingly, that's what Esau gives him. He chooses to delight in his brother Jacob and show him grace that he doesn't deserve. Now, chen requires a generous spirit, which people sometimes have. But in the Bible, the one who shows more chen than anyone else is God. Like when God rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they quickly betray him by giving their allegiance to a golden idol as their God. But then, Moses steps in and asks God to consider giving a gift that they don't deserve. And God says, yes, by showing the ultimate act of chen, forgiveness and a promise to be with these people. This character trait of God is so reliable that over 40 times in the book of Psalms, people cry out for God's chen when they're sick or in danger or when the Israelites are in exile. And the biblical prophets like Isaiah looked back to God's chen in the past and boldly declared that God will one day show chen to his people by delivering them and all creation from death and ruin. Now, when we turn to the authors of the New Testament, they describe God's chen with the Greek word charis, which means gracious gift. Like when we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus is God's glorious charis become human, sent into a world of people trapped in darkness and death. Because according to the Apostle Paul, we're like the living dead. God has handed humanity over to the destructive consequences of our selfish decisions. But, Paul says, God is rich in mercy, and by his charis, he's rescued us. He's talking about how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are offered to us as a generous gift of life that is more powerful than death. And as with any gift, all one has to do is receive it. So, now you can see why the biblical authors talk so much about this description of God's character throughout the Bible. When people are willing to own their failures and ask God for chen, he has a consistent and generous response. God gives the gift of himself, his life and his love. And this is what it means. So grace is this idea of delighting in someone. And so then you gift someone, you give something to someone not that they deserved it or earned it, but because you simply you delight in them. It's this, this gracious gift. And this idea of grace is really what's at the center of the word thank you. It's recognizing a gracious gift that was given to you. It's also, well, in the word translated grace, that makes sense. But also later in our lesson where it says gift, the word grace is also within that word in the original language. And really as we work through this lesson, you can see that the idea of, of a gracious gift is really at the foundation of everything Paul says here about this people and at the foundation of why he has reason to th say thank you to God and why we have such reason to say thank you 
this Thanksgiving as well. So as we move forward with the lesson, Paul, he starts, he says, I always thank God for you. I recognize God's gracious gift to you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Like the video said, Jesus is God's grace in action. He's his ultimate gracious gift because Jesus is God himself become human who came to live that life we were meant to live, to lay it down, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again to give us new life, to set us right with God. This is where it all starts, the gracious gift of Jesus. So God has given us that ultimate gracious gift in Jesus, and then he goes on to say, in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. The word translated enriched, it literally means filled full. It was often used to talk about riches or wealth, but using the illustration of filling something up. So God has filled up the people at the church in Corinth. Filled them full. Probably really the picture is being of like overfull, overflowing or something. He has filled you up in all your speaking and all your knowledge because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. The word testimony, the word testimony is a good translation, and you can think in many ways of, say, like in a court setting, giving a testimony, and that would be a good picture. But what was interesting when I was digging into this word, prepping for this lesson, is that the Old Testament, having been written in Hebrew around the time of the New Testament, they had translated it into Greek. And this same word is what they used often to describe the tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on, the tablets of the testimony. So the Ten Commandments, and you think about the covenant in the Old Testament, it is a statement that is testifying to God's relational covenant with his people. And so when you think about here too, this testimony, yes, it's a statement of what I've seen, but also it can be a statement regarding the way God react, uh, relates to his people and his, his covenants, his relationship with them. So we've given this testimony about God and what he has done, and what he has done for you. And it says, because our testimony, so this statement was about Christ, was now confirmed in you. The word confirmed is a cool picture, cool word picture, and if you look at how I expressed it out here, made firm, well, that kind of fits with confirmed. The words firm, word firm is in both of those. But the word picture is more so clear in the, the, the picture itself. It's the idea of treading down on something so you can walk on it. The last few days, we were kind of reminded of what it is to walk on ice. You know, I don't know if you did. I was out hunting some this weekend, and we was reminded of, like, the penguin shuffle that you do some spots, right, where it gets icy, and you got to just shuffle a little bit along because it's not really sure. And there, were a couple, there was one spot where I got to walk through a marsh to get out to the tree stand, and I discovered that the ice there was not frozen very well yet, and punk, you know, you, you go through, right? This is the, the picture is the opposite of that, is that this is something that is firm. It's reliable. You can walk on this. It is sturdy. So this testimony, so you've been filled up with the message of God and how he is related to his people, how he relates to you through Christ, and this is something that you have believed. It has become sure for you. You can depend on this. You can walk on this. This is what, what Paul is saying to the people in Corinth, and this is really what we've received as the church of God too. We've been filled up with the testimony of Jesus, with the good news of what he has done for us, and we've been brought to faith in this. We believe this. We can stand on this. And then he adds, 
Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. And I just underlined the word gift because, again, there the word grace is within that word. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, if you were to jump ahead to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you would see a list of some of the gifts that apparently were common knowledge amongst the church there. It's a pretty good list. As he goes through, he talks about the gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, prophecy, miraculous powers, speaking and interpreting. So speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues. These last, or a couple of these here, we don't relate to as much. We don't really see so much the speaking, interpreting tongues, um, or, or so much the, the clear miraculous powers as much in the church today because we're in a different context. We have the New Testament. They didn't. Kind of a different time. But much of what we see here, too, with them, these spiritual gifts, we see in our churches today as well. We take, we encourage you, and if you haven't done one, to remind you that's there, the spiritual gifts inventory. As a Christian, we all have different spiritual gifts. God enriched the church of Corinth. Everybody, these people have these various gifts that they can use to serve God. There's this whole list of them there, and when I look around the room here today, I know that we are a room full of spiritual gifts. We have so many reasons to give thanks to God. We've been filled up with the testimony of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. We've been given these spiritual gifts. The church in Corinth had so many reasons to say thank you, and so do we, because we're a lot like that church in Corinth. Now, as we think about the church in Corinth, and we think about these words here, and all these things that, God has, or that Paul has said, the grace of Jesus, being filled to the full, spiritual gifts, all these things. If you think about this list, in and of itself, it's pretty special. There's a lot to thank God for. But this, it's especially striking when you remember why Paul wrote this letter to begin with. Paul didn't write this letter because the people in Corinth were known for doing some really top-notch church stuff. Do you remember why he wrote the letter? Because there were problems in Corinth. He wrote this letter to them because the church, he'd heard of some pretty significant problems. And when you hold up what we just went through and compare it to what happens in the rest of the next, like, 15 chapters of Corinthians, it's striking. <laughs> Let me give you just three examples of some of the issues that Paul addresses here in this section, okay? So first of all, in chapter 1, he says, My brothers, some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among some of you. What I mean is this. One of you says, well, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still, another, I follow Christ. Basically, they were claiming like, well, I was baptized by this guy and, well, I was baptized by that guy. And they were, like, claiming that, like, one person was better than the other based on who you were connected to. Or, hey, I was brought into the church through this pastor, and, but you were brought into the church through that pastor, so you're not as good as this guy. And Paul addresses, like, what's the deal? It's not, and none of this is about the different pastors. It's all about Christ. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. That's, what, what, what is this going on here? There's this whole prideful popularity thing going on. That was one of the things he addresses. He also talks about, in chapter 5, he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur even among pagans, so non-Christians. A man has his father's wife. 
So there was this whole thing going on where apparently, like, a man's father had, maybe his mom had passed, uh, his wife had passed away, and so now the son was having a relationship with the stepmom. And the church was okay with it. Not only okay with it, but saying, hey, we're free in Christ. We're open-minded. We're progressive. Look at us. And they were redefining good and evil to just, I don't know, to be trendy in their culture. That's, that's what they were doing. That's one of the things Paul addresses. And then if you jump ahead to chapter 15, and this is where our lesson came from this last weekend. In this chapter, he talks about how there were some among them who were saying that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. So at the center of the Christian faith is the fact that Jesus not only died for our sins, but rose again. And that we too shall rise like Jesus rose. This is at the center of the Christian faith. And people were saying that doesn't happen. So Paul is beginning this letter thanking God for all these amazing things and then proceeds to talk about all of these issues within the church. How can he he say, I thank God for you when all of those things exist? Well, before we answer that, we should probably also then work through how can God, how can God, How can we say to each other, I thank God for you when all of our struggles exist? We look through the things that are listed with the Corinthians, like we may not have the exact, I don't know, I don't at least, I I hope I I don't hear anybody saying, well, you know, I was baptized, my son was baptized by Abrahamson and my son was baptized by Krause or something. I don't, I haven't heard that and I hope I don't hear that. That would be really dumb if I heard that. I'm just putting it out there. Don't, (laughs) this this is a silly thing. I hope that's not what we have. But do we maybe have pride where sometimes we find reasons to say that I'm better than somebody else? You know, like maybe when you get together with your family, like when somebody leaves a room, do you lean over and whisper about how poor choices they are making because like you know better than they do? I mean, these happen at family dinners. Come Or afterwards, like, oh, bye, it was so great to see you again in the car. Like, oh my gosh, that meal lasted way too long. And then you proceed to talk about how bad they are. I mean, these things happen. I know you're laughing like you don't. They do, right? We can be prideful. And I don't know of any situation amongst anybody here where you got like a son and either a relationship with their stepmom and stuff. Um, But we all have ways where sometimes we justify sinful activity. And we were talking about it at small group uh, last month about how sometimes a Christian can say, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so I can just do, it doesn't really matter. I can do this thing. Or maybe, you know, God just wants me to be happy, and this makes me happy, so I guess I should just do it. We find reasons to, excuses for doing what we want to do when it doesn't fit with God's word. Well, there may be things, like truths from God's word, Maybe it's the resurrection, maybe it's other stuff where we look at it, we're like, I just, I don't know, I don't know if I can buy that. That doesn't fit with my head. I don't think God could work that way or it doesn't make sense with the way I look at the world. Like, we may have ways where we kind of maybe cutting out sections of, I just don't know. I know God's word says that, but I don't know if I believe that. If you really think about it, like, the details may be different, but we're not all that unlike the Corinthian church. So how can Paul say, I thank God always for you, Corinthians. And how can we 
look at each other and look at ourselves and say, I thank God for you. Always. How can we do that? It's what's at the center of this lesson. It's where it all started. Where Paul said, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Remember, grace has to do with a gift of delight that is not based on whether or not a person deserves it. See, it all starts with the fact that God, in his ultimate love, simply looked at the Corinthians and said, I choose you. I love you. Or like that first lesson we read from, from Deuteronomy with the Old Testament nation of Israel. It says, you're stiff-necked people, right? You're not, you're not impressive, but I choose you. And God, the same way he looks at us and he says, I delight in you. That's it. That's the reason. And God says, I delight in you so much. So much. Even though you've done nothing to deserve, I delight in you so much that I sent my son Jesus to pay for every wrong thing you've ever done, to remove your guilt. So you don't have to beat yourself up or try to earn anything, but just to take it all away. He took it all so we could be right with each other. It's all grace. It's all the fact that simply that God just chooses us and he delights in us. That's why I don't have to come up with specific details of why I'm thankful for each of you. I can look around and say, I am thankful for you because when I look at you, I see someone who God delights in, who, has, who God has chosen, who God has sent Jesus for, who God has said, you are mine. That's what I can see when I look at you. And I encourage you tonight to get in front of a mirror at some point and this to me sounds a little weird, but to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm thankful for you. Maybe it seems weird because like, wait a minute, I'm going to say I'm thankful for you like to myself, but, but like I mentioned in the introduction, sometimes we can come down on ourselves so much, beat ourselves up so much. You have every reason to look say, I'm thankful for, for you. I'm thankful for you, Nate. Because I know that God has delighted in me. God has chosen me. That God has rescued me. You can look in the mirror and, and, and see that, that you are the recipient of the grace of God. And like the Corinthians, you have been filled full with spiritual gifts. Each and every one of you has a special spiritual gift. You have not only an eternity with God to look forward to, but you are being used by God, worked through by God now. You have knowledge, you have fullness, you have all of these beautiful things. When we let it sink in, just how much God delights in you, it can fill us with true thanksgiving. And I encourage you not just to look in the mirror, but when you go to those meals and you sit with people, and hopefully it's a lot of people you love hanging around with. Maybe it's people who love, but you don't necessarily like as much. You know, I mentioned those meals before. <laughs> Maybe you go out of your way to look at that person who you really kind of have a hard time with. Maybe you say it out loud, maybe you don't, because it would be weird, and they'd be like, what are you up to? But you think or say, I'm thankful for you. Why? Because if they are someone who's in, well, in Christ, then they have also received the gift of God. God is delighted in them. They have a spiritual gift, too. They've been filled with the knowledge, too. Look in the mirror and say, I'm thankful for you. Look at people around you this Thanksgiving and say, I'm thankful for you. 
And as we do, we can see more reasons why, why we should say to our God, thank you. Because God, it's all grace. It's all you that we are here today. You can say thank you for what God has done. You can say thank you for how he has given us so many gifts right here and now. But you can also say thank you as you think about what lies ahead. Often when we do Thanksgiving, we think about what's happened in the past. This year with Thanksgiving, I want to encourage you to think about also going forward. See, in our lesson, it goes on and it says, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you see the word strong, it's that same picture of being, being made firm. So you think about how the testimony was made firm. It's something you can rely on. Well, think here, as you go forward, Jesus is able to make you firm-footed, make you stand. Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians not because he's given up on them. It's the exact opposite. He's saying to them, God can make you stand firm. You got these challenges, these issues going on, but God can make you stand firm going forward all the way to the end until you reach your goal of the Lord Jesus Christ so that on that day you will be blameless. The word in the original language is a really cool picture. It's the idea of if someone were to come around collecting a debt, and say, okay, you owe this or you owe that, that in that day, you'd be able to stand there free and clear knowing that you owe nothing. That when the person coming to collect the debt comes, they're not coming to you because you don't owe a thing. Jesus is able to make you firm so that when the day of the Lord occurs, when you are standing there before Christ, you don't have to, you don't have to feel like, oh, what, what if I didn't do enough? What if I wasn't good enough? What if I failed here? No, I don't owe a thing. It's all been paid for. It's all done. He's able to make you firm. He's able to, to make you blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can have that confidence because this God has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he is faithful. I underline the word fellowship, not because it's a bad translation. That fellowship is a fine translation. You could use the word communion there. But I, I, I underline it because I just wanted to explore it a bit. All the words that are used to translate that, typically the idea that's trying to come across is that there's, there's a, a withness going on. And withness would be a weird word, which is why they don't use it. But the idea is that you are with Christ and he is with you. So there's a fellowship there's a unity. That's why communion would work. Unity would work. Fellowship would work. He is with you. You can be confident on that day because on that day, he will be with you. And you can be confident today because he is with you. This Lord is with you and he is faithful. He's trustworthy. Maybe as you think about going forward and, and stepping forward into your future, when you think about Jesus being faithful, maybe a picture to have in mind is, you know how a young child hops into their, like their mom or dad's arms and doesn't for a second think they're going to be dropped? Sometimes I wish actually like they would think about that because sometimes you're not expecting it and they jump and you kind of maybe would, right? Yeah, that kind of shocks you. But the kid's so confident that mom or dad's going to hold me, they just don't even think about it. Because in, your, in their mind, you're, you are faithful. You are trustworthy. This is the idea. 
When you step forward with Christ, he is faithful. He will carry you. He will not drop you. He will not let you go. He will carry you forward so that on that day, you can stand there with him, knowing he is with you. You can spend eternity with him, knowing that there's not a thing you owe, knowing it's all set right. When you think about him carrying you through it all, when you think about the fact that he is with you, when you think about the fact that he has paid your debt for all of this, how can we not say thank you? Because when you look at yourself in the mirror, you can really be thankful for you because he has done amazing things for you. He delights in you. You are forgiven. You are filled with his spirit with gifts. You can look at yourself in the mirror and Going forward in the year ahead of you, maybe you feel great about it. Maybe you feel weary. I don't know. But you can know that it's going to be okay because he goes with you. He will take care of you. He will make sure there's no debt that you owe. He's got it. It's all, when you look at you, you see him and what he's doing for you. This Thanksgiving, look in the mirror and look at you. This Thanksgiving, look at the people around you, those people that, that, okay, talked before about the people who maybe annoyed you. Think about the people who you love so much and care about so much. And know that that same God has given them that gracious gift. The same God goes with them and is able to make them strong and firm. The same God is able to hold them and he is faithful. Look in the mirror and say, I'm thankful for you. Look at the people around you this Thanksgiving and say, I'm thankful for you. And as you ponder why you can be thankful for you and ponder why you can look at others and say, I'm thankful for you, my prayer is that we all the more will pause and say, God, thank you. Because it's all you, your grace, and your goodness. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm forgiven. It's why I have confidence for the future. God, it's all you. Thank you. Thank you.